Today's podcast is brought to you by Howie's new book, Paperboy. To order today, go to HowieCarshow.com and click on store. Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio, it's the Grace Curley Show. we got to bring in a new voice, a young voice, a rising voice, Grace Curley. You can read Grace's work in the Boston Herald and the Spectator. Especially, Grace, Grace, stand up. Here's the millennial with the mic, Grace Curley. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grace Curley Show. We will continue to take your calls. The number is 844-500-4242. But I wanted to actually start with the story that just came across my desk. And by came across my desk, I mean that at 2 o'clock sometimes I'll go on Howie's homework and I'll just see. I'll just get a sense of what he's going to be going after during his show. And I'm so glad I did today because there's a story in the Daily Caller that I had not been made aware of and it's pretty amusing so we've obviously been keeping you guys abreast of the fanny willis situation if you're not familiar with fanny some people say fanny i really prefer fanny she's the fulton county district attorney who has made it her mission to get donald trump and to that i say get in line girl there's a lot of people who have tried to take down orange man But this is the case of, you know, when Trump said find the fraud in Fulton County, but he never actually said find the fraud. But the Washington Post, you know, it was such a good headline that they ran with it anyway, and they barely retracted it and nobody really picked up the correction. And since then, it's just been lie after lie after lie. It's a very shaky case. Then it turns out that the D.A., Fannie Willis, actually hired her lover, her paramour, to be the lead special prosecutor, Nathan Wade, even though he had very little experience in this type of law, in, you know, racketeering. She she had two other specialists who actually knew what they were doing, and they were paid a lot less than her paramour. And so, as you could probably imagine... This could be an ethical dilemma. Then again, it could not be because I would think that, for example, Hunter Biden having some random lawyer pay off five million dollars worth of back taxes while also buying his artwork. I would think I'm so naive that to me raises a red flag as far as ethics go. And you have plenty of people on the left saying there's nothing to see here. Move along. So maybe this will all end up being nothing as well. But we're getting more information. So we found out that Nathan Wade, the paramour the lead special prosecutor, that he was getting divorced, that he filed for divorce like the day after he got the gig with Fannie Willis. Now, his wife, his estranged wife, Jocelyn Wade, she subpoenaed Fannie Willis to be deposed in her divorce case. And what she's arguing is not only was this lady paying my husband all this money, but they were taking trips together. They were going on cruises together. They were buying flights to San Francisco, to all these different places together. But it gets even better. Or depending on how you look at it, for Fannie Willis, I guess you could say it gets even worse. This is from The Daily Caller. And you know, Jared, I've talked to you a lot about different business ventures I'd like to get in on. What do I oftentimes say? Like, what's, what's my number one business I want us to... Consulting. Consulting. That is true. Um, I definitely think we could do something in the climate, energy sector. I think that is... That is a perfect opportunity for us to make some quick cash. 
Um, I think at some point a law firm wouldn't be bad if we could just get if someone could become a legal beagle, it might be nice. But there's all these different things, um, maybe placing advertisements for campaigns that could be good, like Bernie Sanders' wife. There's all these different things. A think tank, for example. There's all these different ways you can make money. And I've got a new one for you. It says Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis's office agreed to pay $10,000 on a service to monitor her media coverage just days before announcing the probe into former President Donald Trump, according to invoices. She was paying $10,000 for a service that would track the media coverage of herself in her office as she launched an investigation into the former president. So... uh, Ten thousand dollars for what? A Google alert? Like I have that set up. I have Google alerts for my show, for Howie's show, for some of the clients, just to know if anything comes up in the news. I can tell you right now, it doesn't cost me ten thousand dollars. What kind of service requires you to pay ten grand to keep you updated on how often you're being written about? And by the way, she's getting written about a lot, so she must be getting updates up the wazoo now. Hope she's getting her $10,000 worth. It's like every day, multiple emails. Hey, there's another story about you. You wanted us to track how often you're being covered in the media. You've been getting covered a lot lately. Do we know this $10,000, what what company this was given to to monitor her media profile or whatever? Yes, we do. Oh, good. Her office contracted with Critical Mention, a New York-based media monitoring service designed for tracking mentions and metrics like publicity value. Ten grand. Jared, I've got our new business venture. We are now a Massachusetts-based media monitoring service. We're designed for tracking mentions and metrics like publicity value. You give me $10,000, I will give you all the stats you need. The first invoice charging $10,000 for the annual contract is dated February 8th, 2021. We are getting more coverage via your name than by title, said what appears to be a Fulton County employee in a February 2021 email. This graph has the coverage value for the last week at over $150 million. I don't even know what that means. I ran a report for mentions of Fulton County District Attorney worldwide for the last seven days. So this woman makes it her mission to go against Trump. What do we always say about going against Trump? I mentioned it already in today's show. You go against Trump, you become a star. I'm going to make you a star. You're going to be a big star. That's all it takes. You go against Trump, you're going to get book deals, you're going to get gigs at CNN, you're going to be famous. And this lady was so sure of that, that she wanted to pay $10,000 to track just how quickly her star was going to rise once she went after Orange Man Bad. That is pretty amazing. $10,000. What I could do with $10,000. But I guess if it's not your money, Jared, like if you're not, if it's not your money, then sure, pay $10,000. Get the flight to San Francisco for 900 bucks. Don't wait for the spirit flight. Don't track it to see if it's going to be less money. It's not your money in the first place. So spend like you're going out of business. Spend like it's going out of style. Why not?
but still, that seems pretty steep. I'd like to learn more about Critical Mention, this New York-based media yeah, monitoring company. I'm I'm looking it up. They don't really quite have a Wikipedia. There's a couple subdivisions. It seems like they were started in France. It looks like Onclusive, a London company, bought them. Maybe, perhaps. I can't really find too much about them, other than they uh, they monitor social media. You know, so what I, I don't know who. What connection to what donors to what party, but I can guess. I have this friend, okay, and she works in New York, and her father, we were out to dinner one time, and her father, we were there, and there was a couple of family friends, and somebody was asking what she does for a living. And her father looked at her, and he said, I want you to explain to me what you do without using the terms marketing, media, and I think there was like one other term. And he said, go ahead. Explain it to me without using those terms. And she couldn't do it. When I first moved back to Boston from Los Angeles, um, I went to a friend's wedding and I met somebody there who had some, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, we're, I was looking for a job. Basically, they were like, hey, I work for this company. I'm not going to mention the company, but why don't you come in and, you know, you have some media experience. We can. So I went in and I talked to him before I got there and I was like, okay, so. What's the company about? And he just went off and I was like, okay, but what do you do? Yeah. And again, What's I was like, product? oh, so, 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 so do we write things? Do we sell things? <laughs> and it was just buzzwords. Yeah. And I'm like, so, but, but, but what is the job? Like what, yeah. what do we do? What, what, what do you sell here? That and happens then, to me all the time. You're on yeah. LinkedIn. You get LinkedIn messages from people and they're like, and I'm not trying to say we're doing brain surgery here, but at least I can tell you what I do. But sometimes people send me messages and I'm like, I don't even get what this company is. It sounds like some sort of pyramid scheme. Yeah. Hey, you know, <laughs> Is there a those... product you're pushing? Like, could I buy something? And, it, you know, it was one of those places where people didn't have chairs that sat on, like, those yoga balls or whatever. Oh, yeah. So, like, right when I walked in, I was like, oh, all right. This was, seems... this, was this company called FTX? <laughs> it was not called FTX. Definitely had FTX vibes, though. But, yeah, it was just, it, again, it's another one of these things. Like... What what is the function here? Just give me one sentence about what you do. In this case, it's like, oh yeah, we track Fannie Willis's name on Google. Like, do all these people sit around and just make Google alerts? Because I do that, uh, and I have another job, but I also do that. Should I be getting paid extra? And there's a radio host in Boston who's pronouncing your name Fannie instead of <laughs> Fannie. Uh, I just want to give you a heads up. That's twenty grand. Yeah. <laughs> 3000 of your dollars just went to that, okay? Uh, when we come back, we'll take more of your calls. And I also want to talk about this interaction between KJP and uh, Peter Ducey. Things got a little heated in the press conference room. But actually, Jared, let's go to one call right now. Margaret's been on the line for a while. Go ahead, Margaret. Hi, Grace. How are you? And little Emily. Uh, we're good, Margaret. How are you doing? Not bad. A little snowy today, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know what? I keep hearing all this. Um, I, I don't know if I have it right. If Biden doesn't get in or, or drops out or something, and they talk about Newsom or Michelle Obama, how do you? You can't just slide those people in to be president. Can't, well, we have to vote that. Yeah, I don't, I don't really. Know, I don't understand that, that, what you mean. Yeah. Okay. So if there was some sort of, you know, if he had a health issue, which I'm not. I'm hoping everything's fine. Um, but if there were some sort of health issue, 
then I think that there are, you know, measures that are taken so that somebody else can take over. Um, And I'm sure that there has to be votes and you have to go through some sort of process. I don't have it right here in front of me. And I'll ask Howie about it because I think he could probably explain it a little bit better. Um, I do think if they're just going to choose somebody else, like if they just don't want Biden, they would have had to have done that by now. But you can't you you can't say it's almost like let let me explain like this. It's almost like COVID. You know how now if you want to get out of a flight ticket or something and they can say they used to be able to say like, oh, no refunds, no whatever. But then for a while during COVID, you could just say, well, I have COVID and they have to give you your money back because they don't want you on the plane. If you have COVID, they're not going to let you fly. It's kind of like that. If you say, well, he's not in good health, they have to give you another option. They can't just say, well, you still have to run him anyway, because then we have like weekend at Bernie's. But do I know the exact specifics of what has to happen for a Michelle Obama or a Gavin Newsom right now? No, I don't. And I'm not going to pretend to because that will get me into a bad situation. Also, Margaret, like constitutional laws, legal precedent, it means nothing to these people. Do you know, They will Jared? just do whatever they, they want to. Do you know what, what the process is? Like if, if Joe Biden says today... I got a bad situation with Hunter. I've got a lot going on. I don't feel well. I'm not going to run. What happens? I I don't know the specific rules. I do know that if somebody wants to run as a candidate, they have to. There was a filing deadline, I believe, in the fall. But there is some extenuating circumstance. Exactly. Like a, where they can up until I I want to say up until the convention, the Democrat National Convention. Yeah. They can somehow finagle. It's like when you're when you're planning a wedding, it's a force majeure. You know, there there's always that one little caveat, that little asterisk of like if something were to happen and it, it applies to both sides. Again, I'm, I'm hoping everyone's in good health. I'm hoping everyone's fine. I'm hoping it's at this point. I'm hoping it's Biden versus Trump because I think Trump will win. But if something does occur, then I do think they're going to have to let another Democrat take over. Howie got the flu shot and came down with the flu. The mailroom manager came down with RSV. Staff and clients have gotten COVID. Winter has just begun and we're just getting into it. And this is when you get hit with something. And if you're not ready, if you're not prepared to nip it in the bud, it can really take you out for a lot longer. I sometimes feel like it doubles the amount of time that you don't feel well if you don't get right on top of it right away. And there's a way you can do that. There's a way you can be prepared. And that is with the Wellness Company's emergency medical kit. It's shipped right to your doorstep. You fill out a clinical intake form. And this is like having a doctor in your medicine cabinet. It is everything you need for so many different situations. It's got antibiotics, antivirals, antiparasitics, things like amoxicillin, ivermectin, which you've heard so much about, Z-Pack, things that you know you will need, and then you don't have to go through the process of, you know, going to some sort of uh, emergency room or calling up your doctor. You're going to have it at the ready. You're skipping the line. You're cutting that process in half. You're saving yourself time. You're going to feel better a lot faster. Uh, It comes with a 22-page guidebook, so you have instructions on safe use, which is very important, and everything from benign tick bites to extreme bioterror events. It has every scenario covered. 
It's like having a doctor in a box, which everyone can feel good about. So order today at TWC.health slash Curly. Use code Curly10 for 10% off. That's TWC.health slash Curly, code Curly10. We'll be right back when we return. I want to play this KJP sound because she's trying to pull the excuse of, oh, Joe Biden was just making a joke when he decided to become an election denier. I don't think it's passing the smell test. Not for me, at least. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Grace Curley Show. This is The Grace Curley Show. Welcome back, everyone, to The Grace Curley Show. Today's poll question is brought to you by Perfect Smiles. Don't be fooled by imposters with similar names. If you're unhappy with your smile, you need to visit Dr. Bruce Houghton in Nashua. I love Dr. Houghton and everybody at Perfect Smiles. So call them today at 1-844-PERFECT-SMILE or visit perfectsmiles.com. That's 844-PERFECT-SMILE or visit perfectsmiles.com. Jared, what's the poll question and what are the results thus far? Today's poll question, which you can vote in at gracecurlyshow.com, is when do you think Nikki Haley will drop out of the race? Before South Carolina? After South Carolina? After South Carolina, but then run as a no-labels candidate? Or not until after the convention in July? I'm going to say after South Carolina, and she's not going to run as no-labels. Unless she's that much of a flip-flopper and she told (laughs) us today she won't, and then later on in the next couple weeks she decides to. 56% 56% believe she will drop out after South Carolina. 23% think she will not drop out until after the convention in July. 16% feel she will run as a no-labels candidate. And 5% say before South Carolina. All right, let's go to the callers here. Joanna, you're next up on the Grace Curley Show. Go ahead, Joanna. Hi there. I just want to let you people, uh, want to say, and I know you probably know, but uh, I haven't heard it said anywhere uh, uh, they say that New, you know, New Hampshire, Trump won by 54.5 to Haley's 43.2. But that's with the independents also. And we know, well, we assume that there are a lot of independents uh, were also maybe Democrats voting in that one. But when you look at this, just the New Hampshire alone uh, with the Republicans, it was 75. Trump won by 75 percent to Haley's 24 percent. So it shows that the Republicans are really were voting in New Hampshire for Trump, and he really ran one by a landslide. Yeah, Joanne, it's a great point and a great caller. So many great female callers today. I want this every day. Keep calling in. And uh, I actually want to play Steve Kornacki. We played one of the cuts, but this is um, kind of going into depth about what Joanna just said. This is cut 13. If you apply the results I just showed you, you know, Trump's strength with Republicans, Haley's with independents and with Democrats. If you applied them to that 2000 demographic mix in South Carolina, the most non-Republican they've ever had, Trump would win the state by 15 points. So Steve Kornacki, I mean, I know he's on MSNBC, but he's he's a numbers guy. So he doesn't uh, he I think he's yeah, MSNBC. He doesn't uh, he's it's like Marty Walsh. You know, you end up being the best one there just because you get to cite actual numbers. Um, and he was pretty clear that it was a great night for Trump, no matter how you look at it. Um, I'm not going to have time in this segment to play KJP, but it cracked me up because as we talked about, Joe Biden goes to Virginia and he says the real governor is Terry McAuliffe. Now, that to me is called election 
denying, okay, or election denialism, however you want to phrase it. And Peter Ducey asked her about this, and she said he was just joking. She said it's very obvious he was just joking around. Now, I remember in 2019 when Trump made a joke and he asked Russia to help him get Hillary Clinton's emails, and I thought it was very obvious that it was a joke. And it sparked one of the biggest... Most expensive, ridiculous investigations and scandals, nothing burger scandals that we've ever seen. So I don't think the whole he was making a joke thing's going to work. We'll be right back. Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio. I am so excited about our next guest. I haven't even told you guys about this. I was It's a surprise. Justin Manning from J.J. Manning Auctioneers is in the building. He's in studio. And this is perfect, Justin, because there's so many things we need to talk about. Okay? The first thing I want to ask you, we're going to keep it kind of general, um, but I really want to ask you about the last year because we're in 2024 now. But before we talk about predictions, about what you think is going to happen, advice you can give my listeners Give us a sense of how 2023 was different from other years as far as the real estate market goes. So 2023 was really interesting because it showed us the some of the lowest sales in in decades and and the and the reason why the, the sales were so low wasn't because, you know, people didn't want homes or any any other reasons it was because the rates were high. I mean, they may come down a little bit, but they were high. And in addition, there was just no inventory. No one was going anywhere. Everyone's still riding on those sweet rates, those sweet low rates. So the actual number of transactions in 2023 was low because of the high interest rates and the and the high, high lack of inventory, which actually still continues into, into now. Now, now, Justin, when you talk about people, because we've talked about this before, where someone has, they're locked into a rate and they can't. They can't wrap their heads around losing it. Like, I know people like this. They go, oh, I'm just going to keep that property because I'm never going to get an interest rate like that again. Did you have a lot of people or did you see a lot of people who were doing that and then also buying another property? So if they had a dream of, okay, I'm going to move to New Hampshire, I'm going to move to Florida, they still would do it, but they would keep the other property as like a rental property? I think what they were doing was they were acquiring that other property but definitely renting one of them. So okay. in other words, I think staying in that primary house with that low rate, but buying and renting another property, here's why. Because if that property was in a region or an area or in a building that allowed for short-term rentals, there's huge money to be made. You see groups come together, not one person, but investment groups, and they will come and buy properties with the sheer intent of renting it short-term. Whether that, like, uh, we go down to Anna Maria Island down in Florida um, with my wife's family in the in the spring, early spring, and so many of the houses are exactly that. They've been done over. They're fantastic, and they get a ton of money for them for short short term rentals. A lot of foreign money owns a lot of these houses. They've come in and bought them and fixed them up, and and they've become investment vehicles. Now, before we get into 2024, I want to stay on 2023 just for a minute here because you're in the auction business. And for some of my listeners, this is they've heard of it before, but they don't really consider it uh, an option for them or for, you know, they, they, they don't see it as something they were planning on doing, you know, selling their home via auction. But 
because of the last year, because of how unique the last year was, did it make it so you had more people with an open mind to the auctions or less? Or, or was this like an opportunity for people to say, listen, it's a weird market right now, but this is the way you should go? I think that what I would say is that, and I'm, and I'm going to qualify by saying a lot of the your listeners and, and Howie's listeners don't really like to be told what to do or how to do things. Okay. So that's a particular type of person. So the you know, 50 or so groups we've already sold for that come from your listenership, they don't want to do something because everyone else does it. I'm not going to list my house at a price and then see what happens and then have the person that makes the offer at a number that I like walk away and, and kill the deal. So they they like the certainty and they like to be in control and they like to choose to do something maybe different than everybody else. So I think from your listenership, that's one thing. With the rest of the world, my battle in 30 years and being in this business is educating someone. I don't have to convince someone too long that they can trust me and that I'm going to do a great job for them. They, I think within the first 10 minutes, they realize that. But I have to convince them that the process is something that is viable and has been successful and that is it's unique. And it's not for everyone or for every property, but for many properties, it's a great exit strategy. Yeah. And I think more people have properties that could use an auction than they probably think. And if they look into it, they would be surprised. Now, let's look forward here. Let's look at 2024. We're in it. We're in the new year. Um, Do you have any predictions? Because I have a lot of questions about where the market's heading. But first, I want to know from your expertise, what do you think, based off everything you're seeing, what do you think is going to happen in 2024? I think initially what you're going to see, since we're going to see a turnover in the presidency, you usually will see things that are done to um, help the, the sitting president. So you probably will see rates get lowered. And then that makes the current sitting, you know, president look better and help them for a reelection. So I think that for that reason and for other reasons, you'll probably see a, a slight drop in the interest rates, whether it's whether it should happen or whether it's posturing. I think you'll see that happen. And that will just that little bump down will get more people ready to buy. I think that I do think that numbers are going to hold. But here's the pro, Here's the one problem I've got. For three to four years, we haven't written any proposals to do big foreclosures. And in the last month, I've probably written 10 and signed up four or five of them. And I only say that because that's not an opinion. That is a fact. That's data that I have, and it's different than what I've done for three years. So that, historically, our business is usually six months ahead of the market. And that means that there's going to be some clearing out of some more commercial properties than anything. Not so much residential, unless the residential property is collateral on a commercial loan. You're going to see some of these big commercial loans, uh, which I call the big dominoes, rumble. And if any of them fall, there's reverberation that could affect some of the smaller dominoes. So the fact that we're writing those type of proposals for banks on large commercial loans is telling because we haven't done it in three years. So that's data that's that's you know, measurable. That's really good to know. Um, Justin, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, and you just kind of alluded to it, you said, you know, when we have a a new president who's going to be elected, hopefully a new one, maybe an incumbent, um, usually things are going to shake up right before then to make the president look good. And I had asked you during the break, I said, do you do you see when there's a new president, a new administration, how does that really affect the real estate market? Like can what a president chooses to do or chooses not to do? Can that make it a, a better environment for buyers versus sellers? And one thing you said, 
said to me that I think is so interesting. You said it's not just the president. It's not just the people at the top. It trickles down all the way to local government. What do you mean by that? Expand on it a little bit. Because, I mean, we certainly can't balance the federal budget. That's We don't even know what it is or what stratosphere it's on. But in the individual states, it's very defined and very controlled and very measurable. So when you look at a state like uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, historically, if the state's running at a deficit, then they make cuts and they sell sell property. We've sold property through DCAM, which is the agency that runs their real estate, will sell property for them. When they're running at a surplus, then they're not doing that type of activity. And I think right now, with uh, the the new budget that's coming into play, uh, that's going to affect uh, taxes in, in, a, in a huge way. And I believe that the effect on real estate is much, much more impacted by the governors in the states than the president necessarily because they're always trying to to meet uh, a state budget, which is measurable, and, you, and unlike the federal budget, which is immeasurable. One of the trends that we followed a lot, and you were nice enough to come on the show during COVID and talk a lot about, was cities versus suburbs. And we saw this big push during COVID. People were, you know, trying to create their own area. They were, you know, a lot of people were investing in their backyards. They were buying houses in the suburbs. They wanted to be in a neighborhood. They wanted their kids to be able to run around. And we saw a really big shift from the cities to the suburbs. Where is that trend going right now? Are, are the cities coming back alive? You know, are people going back to work? Is that affecting the real estate market? What's happening there? So the the new thing, which isn't really new, is the younger generation doesn't want a car and they're going to work from home some or all of the time. So now you've seen a little influx in pockets like Southie and the Back Bay in Boston where that's where they live and they work and they have their furry little puppy. And that's where they spend all their time. So if it's going to be my home and it's going to be my office, I'm going to put more resources toward this. And so there's been this migration back into the cities of the younger generation, you know, and, and, and it's those professionals that have maybe because if they do have to go into the office, if they work for a big real estate company or big finance company that's saying you got to be in the office two days or three days a week, still that's that scenario still works for them. So I think that you're seeing a lot of young money, a lot of young new money coming back into the city now because okay. they don't want a car and they, they may need to be at an office, but regardless, this place is going to be their home and office. And, and so there's a, there's a little bump up in, in certain pockets. Justin, when I talked to you, um, this was probably a year ago, we were discussing some of the mistakes people make when they're trying to sell their homes. And and one thing you said to me, and I've seen this in my own life with, with people I know, and I, I understand this because it's human nature. You said sometimes people are trying to sell a property and they get so hung up on what their neighbor sold their home for. And they think to themselves, well, I have a nicer bathroom than they do. Or we we did our kitchen over two years ago and they got 10 grand more than us. I'm not selling. And you said, you gotta, you've got to shake that. You, you can't live in the past. You've got to operate with what you're dealing with now. What are, what are other mistakes people make when they're trying to sell their homes that you see that you just think to yourself, oh, not again? It's it's super easy, the question, because what I see is people always think what is important about a property is what's important to them. And a lot of the time, it's the last thing that the other people think of, even to the point where you could have a house that probably 80% of the people want to completely gut and they're talking about, you know, the tile over here or the <laughs> counter over here. And it's like, no, that's not the point. It's the location. It's this plot. It's how they can expand it. It's other things that they can do. So usually someone's in love with maybe it's what the cost of whatever it was that they did to improve their property. But I always look at it like 
what's important to you is probably not what's most important to the buyers. So when we're doing real estate auctions, it's cool because you've got different, you've got investors, you've got builders, you've got end users, and they have all different ideas of what they want to do. And I don't care what they want to do. I just care about what's the most money we can get out of all these groups, you know, pitting against one another. So yeah, other people have different ideas of what's important. Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up because we're running out of time here, but I just thought of this. So uh, I think it was last week I had a story on Alec Baldwin. He's like always in the news. He is Where's Waldo. Every time there's a situation, Alec Baldwin's in the middle of it. But he's trying to sell this this property. He has multiple properties. I think this one was in the Hamptons. And it's it's one of these you know, multi, multi-million dollar properties that's just sitting there. He can't sell it. So he made a video. Did you see this? He made a video. He's like starring in it. He's explaining to the camera, this is why you want this house. This is and this meant this to me and this meant this to me and Justin I'm not like you I'm not a real estate expert, but I was thinking to myself who does this work on like is is this if I have all this money and I'm thinking about buying a property Is that gonna sell people on it? Like oh Alec Baldwin explaining the house to me? No, it's actually it's I mean he's a celebrity So I guess if you're an Alec Baldwin stalker or <laughs> super fan stalker then you might want it but otherwise you have to depersonalize a property to a high degree. The two things we always say is get everything personal out of there and declutter it to the best of your ability. I mean, because we'll, we'll sell you know, an estate property in an auction and the person was a hoarder. And they'll say, should we empty it? I'm like, well, get some dumpsters and get as much as you can out of there you know, before you sell it because we don't want you to throw good money after bad, but we want it to look decluttered. But again, depersonalizing a property to a high degree is important too because it's going to be that person's property. They don't want to see your stuff or what you like. It's what they want and what they desire going forward and nothing to do with what, what you want. So, in other words, Alec Baldwin's instincts were wrong yet again. Uh, Justin Manning, I thank you. The source. <laughs> I thank you so much for coming on. Can you let people know if they have any questions for you, if they want to call you up, if they want to get the ball rolling, where can they reach you? Uh, I just want to tell you before I give you that that we've got four of your listeners. Uh, three of them have single family homes Whitman, Mass., North Abington, Mass., Suffield, Connecticut. And then in Hyde Park, we got a commercial warehouse property. All of your listeners that are. Uh, we're going to take care of shortly as they sign on with us and are on the cusp. And if you are uh, interested in anything we've got going on, jjmanning.com or call my man Charlie Gill at 800-521-0111. Awesome. Thank you so much, Justin. I really appreciate it. You are always just, you have so much knowledge on this front and we, we could all use it, especially given how uncertain these times are. Justin Manning, make sure you reach out to him or reach out to Charlie Gill. We will be right back with Howie Carr. Don't go anywhere. Follow Grace on Twitter at G underscore Curly. This is the Grace Curley Show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grace Curley Show. All right, I'm so excited. I don't normally play sound for Howie, but I got to play this. So Joe Biden last night goes to Virginia, and he says that Terry McAuliffe is the real governor of Virginia. So he's denying the election of Glenn Youngkin. The reason I bring this up is because Peter Ducey asked Corrine Jean-Pierre about it. I'm going to play this cut, and then I want to ask Howie a couple questions. Let's play it, Jerry. Is election denying a joke now? What do you mean? You have to say more than just make a random statement. Mm. Why did the president say, hello, Virginia, and the real governor, Terry McCall? He was making a joke about Terry. He was making a joke. 
He was, I mean, if you play it back, it's clearly that the president was making a joke. What's the joke? He was making a joke about McCullough's previous term as governor. How are you guys going to convince people, though, uh, that this idea of denying election results is very bad if President Biden is going out and making jokes like this? Okay, now pause it right there, Jared, because, Howie, I remember a time where Trump made a couple of jokes about Hillary Clinton and her emails in Russia and nobody thought that was funny. Nobody thought that was an excuse. Oh, back only then. the uh, only the ten thousand people that were in the audience yeah. at the time who started laughing, and probably a few million people that were watching it on cable TV. Two of whom were you and me. Yeah, we we all laughed about it. But Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff probably was still talking about it in the California debate a couple of <laughs> nights ago with Steve Garvey. He he's never he's never let it go. He pretends it's real. Yeah, but this is just it's it's such a double standard. It's like, OK, so if you're Joe Biden, you can joke around and deny elections. And we've seen this time and time again, Howie. Election denialism is not something that's a Republican problem, whether it's Stacey Abrams, Al Gore, it goes Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton. This has been happening for a long time, but they think it's funny. Yeah, well, it's the same thing with the Supreme Court. You know, Texas has to obey the ruling of the Supreme Court that they uh, that they can't have uh, the the wire the wire over the uh, the fences at the Rio Grande. But you know, but the Biden administration can feel free to totally disregard the Supreme Court when it comes to something like oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, student loan so-called forgiveness, or uh, continuing the uh, the rent moratorium, so-called, you know, which the Supreme Court says is unconstitutional. All kinds of things the Biden administration just doesn't care about. They just de- defy the Supreme Court. It's like Stalin with the Pope in during World War II. How many divisions does he have? You know, how many cops does the Supreme Court have to uh, to enforce any of these laws? But but that, but damn it, if the if the ruling goes their way, it settles. It's settled Settle law. Settle law. <laughs> Howie, I wanted to ask you uh, one more thing. I know you're going to talk a lot about Nikki Haley today, Donald Trump, but we've been focusing on Dean Phillips. And you and I have been asking you about this, the writing campaign for Joe Biden. Obviously, Joe Biden won last night his writing campaign, but Dean Phillips had a pretty good showing. And I saw this cut of him where he said, listen, we just started this up a couple weeks ago. If we had been at this for months, we probably could have won. I don't disagree, Howie. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't either. But they, there's another case of the Democrat double standard. They tell us that it takes uh, days, if not weeks, if not months to count the elect- election ballots, you know, even though they're all from machines and you just have to run them through a machine. But it still takes weeks. Now, last night they had, I guess, supposedly 60,000 write-ins, not even a stickers, write-ins of Joe Biden. And they called that <laughs> election for Biden before they called it for Donald Trump, who got three and a half times as many votes. That's such a good point. I didn't even think of that. Speed readers. Well, there was no pipe burst last night, miraculously. So maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah. And I'm sure everybody who all those 60,000 people, most of whom are over 80 years old, I'm sure their their uh, their handwriting was uh, pristine <laughs> Palmer method. You know, no, there was no question about who they were writing in. They weren't writing in ceasefire or bird brain. They were writing in Joe Biden, Joseph Robinette Biden, Jr. And perfect penmanship. All right. Howie Carr is coming up next. He's got a great show planned. We'll be back tomorrow for our Friday junior program. Don't go anywhere.